0: the tee from Australia, Adam Scott. There it is, Adam Scott. Expect anything different?
1: Brilliant. What an up and down that was. In
2: your life have you seen anything like that? Welcome to the clubhouse.
3: Yes, welcome to the Clubhouse. Great to have your company here. Darren Parkin is my name, sitting in for Julian Bayard, working hard on all of the latest uh, trade news, which has obviously been ramping up over the week that was. But Mark Allen is here, as he is uh, every single week, talking golf. And Marco, nice to be back again.
2: Good, on, good to see you, Darren, and thanks for filling in. We, we appreciate it here at the Clubhouse. Hey, um, a massive week mm-hmm. as far as uh, Tiger Woods is concerned, yeah. Jason Day as well, the World Cup. Uh, we had a young bloke called Curtis Luck from Western mm-hmm. Australia. Uh, make his way to the Masters for a second time. I doubt very much there's ever been an amateur who's had two exemptions into Augusta, ever. Um, so much to talk about. We're going to hear from Paul Skinner as well a little bit later.
3: Yeah, a fair bit of uh, cash floating around that we'll discuss as well. Did read with interest that uh, Donald Trump, who owns several Scottish golf courses, mm-hmm. lost about $9.5 million US over the course of a few months. But uh, that's a, a little side note. And he may what, well, gambling?
2: Uh, side bets?
3: I don't know if it was gambling where he was actually playing and losing or, uh, or just uh, <laughs> in, injecting right, cash oh. into it and, and having it all fall out. But yeah, last week we spoke about Tiger's comeback for the Safeway, which has now been aborted, not due to yeah. fitness, but due Due to him not being comfortable with his game, oh,
2: it's uh, in my look. In my view, mm. it's a disgrace. I mean, we throw the word disgrace around a lot, mm-hmm. but when you're Tiger Woods and when your name goes on the poster of a tournament, it's a, immediately a sellout. Mm-hmm. The Safeway tournaments always had reasonable people turn up, reasonable crowds. Uh, it's up in the Napa Valley in California. Uh, it's the first season, first. I mean, a lot of the good players come out because they want to get off to it try and get off to a good start uh, for 2017. But this guy, to say three days before the tournament st- basically starts, yep, I'll be there. See you there. I mean, we all knew he was playing. But to really put up his hand, enter, put his name down, three days later to say I'm not playing. Mm. I mean, I feel for all the dads who are bringing their kids up, children, boys and girls, to see Tiger Woods play. They would have bought tickets. They would have bought accommodation. They would have put plans in place mm-hmm. to come up, maybe flights. Mm-hmm. To see this guy, he hasn't played all last year, played 11 tournaments the season before. For him to pull out, not because he's got a crook back, not because he's got a broken finger, not because he's played up on his misses, mm-hmm. but because he thinks he's vulnerable, uh, just it's pathetic. No, no one. Sh- I mean, he sh- he actually should be fined. That says a lot about that.
3: It says a lot about him, though, that he feels vulnerable because I guess he's never felt that way at the height of his powers. And it says a lot about obviously where his game is at. You've spoken about how you know he's tinkered with the swing and, and things like that. But for him to be in a position where it's like I can't walk out onto a golf course and be confident with what I'm going to do, is staggering.
2: No, vulnerable should never ever come yeah. out of the mouth of of Tiger Woods. Uh, look, I, it's funny when I hear the word vulnerable and a player of his ilk, Mm -hmm. which is the greatest we've ever seen. From Teddy Green, he should be fine. And the reason that Tiger played at such a high level and his form waves were incredibly shallow. I mean, when he played bad, he Mm -hmm. was finishing the top 10, it seemed, when uh, when he was really flying. It's because of his short game. Mm -hmm. I mean, Tiger hit bad shots. He hit some shots that we, you know, when we saw them, we couldn't believe them. Um, And some of the... And when he was on with his long game, it was beautiful to watch. It was Ben Hogan-like add another 50 meters onto the the, the tees, the tee shots. But when he says he's vulnerable, that to me says something's wrong. Not I'm not, not it's a, I'm not feeling like I'm playing well. It means something's wrong with Mm -hmm. his game. Yeah. Two years ago, we saw him with the chipping yips. Uh, Amazingly, at Augusta when he came back after the chipping yips, uh, he was put in some spots where I thought, here we go. If he's got the chipping hips, this will be the spot. And he came through with flying colours. But I think he, something's happened. I, I really think something's happened. And if he has got the heebie-jeebies mm-hmm. with a couple of short chips, then that can run right through your game. And that can put you off. And that can make you feel vulnerable as a former champion of the sport, so that's 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 my big fear because you know if he's if he's if he's hit a few crook shots in practice, I mean who cares? Hmm. It just doesn't matter. It, it never it never would have mattered back in the back in the day because he would have he would have bristled. You know if he hits a bad shot, one of the great one of the great things about the best players in the world hmm. was watch me get out of this yeah. attitude. Yeah, you know Seve Ballesteros had the watch me I'll get out of this attitude. Uh, Tom Watson had the watch me. No, Who cares about a bad shot? Watch this. You know, Jack Nicholas hit it in the he'd hit a bad shot or have a bad hole. It just wouldn't matter.
3: Is it common to the, I guess, your, your regular professional players, you often see it in the AFL where you're about to watch a game, a guy will have 15 shots before a game and miss all of them, but as mm. soon as the game starts, he nails them. Oh, yeah. In golf, will it happen that someone will be completely off on, the, say, the, the practice greens and things like that, but then
2: nail it? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, we, mm. in golf, a full court press, mm-hmm. in golf. Is the way you approach a shot. Mm-hmm. So, um, practice swings, visualization, and preparation. If you do all three perfectly, it takes you from fifty percent to one hundred percent. So, what what a good player will do just messing around with his mates mm-hmm. versus what a good player will do on the first tee of a tournament that he wants to win is vastly different, mm-hmm. and and rightly so too, because there's no there's no pressure when you messing around. You know, you might go back to your home club medalist, which is Tiger Woods' home club, and mm-hmm. you might shoot sixty six in your sleep. These the guys who are really good, they do that. You know, that's yeah. some of the best mm-hmm. rounds I've ever seen, some of the best ball striking I've ever seen. It's not on you know Saturday or Sunday of a tournament, it's on the Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Because yeah. there's no, no pressure. pressure. Yeah. And they just flush it. I mean it's just incredible what good players can do on a Tuesday, let alone when they're home mm-hmm. with their mates. Mm-hmm. But even those guys on Thursday morning of a tournament, or Thursday afternoon, or whenever their tee shot is, when when they get on the first tee and they use a full court press, which is just everything possible before you hit a ball to make sure it goes straight, which is you know perfect pre-shot, perfect uh, visualization, perfect rhythm, perfect practice swings to make all this happen. You go f- that that it can take you to a, a very very different level if you know what you're doing if you've practiced it if you've done it in the past you can you can recall the preparation before a shot very very easily maybe not the, the actual shot itself but the recall of how to prepare to hit a golf shot champions can do that at the drop of a hat so that I mean he he, he could step it up a notch mm. once he got on the first tee but if you've got the heebie-jeebies mm. with any part of your game and the part of the game that makes you look the most foolish which is the short putts yeah. or any kind of chip that you may duff it makes you look like a dill on a golf course. And when I hear someone like Tiger Woods say vulnerable, that's what I think of.
3: I've heard you often say that that is incredibly difficult to get over. We've seen a lot of players who don't ever mm. get out of that. I mean, mm. Ian Baker, Finch, and a few others as well. Yep. Uh, is there a, an obvious way out, even for someone as confident as Tiger, if they start talking about the heebie-jeebies, yeah. it's a long way back?
2: Well, I reckon there's another step. And yeah. I, I think that the heebie-jeebies, you're in you know, kind of the amber zone to mm-hmm, where mm-hmm. there's a bit of danger. Yeah. If you go to the full-on yips, mm-hmm. you've got to do something yeah. else. So, you know, you might have to chip left-handed. Brett Ogle, yeah. ha- Brett, Brett Ogle got to the red zone of yips, and he came out with a left-handed... You know, I played golf with Brett with a left-handed sand nine for mm-hmm. a while. Uh, he, he'd be a good one to ask one day about yeah, the yips. Yeah. Uh, I know the same with uh, Craig Spence, who I'm very good friends with at home, the 99 Australian Masters mm-hmm. champ. Um, wh- when he got the yips with the putting... The yips, red zone, no comeback. Had to go with the long putter. Mm-hmm. So the heebie-jeebies, you can work hard and you can get it. You can get it right, but there is that red area that we're talking about, which the heebie-jeebies go when you're very, very nervous mm-hmm. to all of a sudden an involuntary yip. Um, I don't. I don't think he's quite there. I don't think he's quite there, but. He's not far off, mm, mm. and if he's pulling out of tournaments because of the heebie-jeebies, then he's a you know he's a little bit through that amber zone. I mean, he's getting really close to the red zone.
3: In regards to Tiger, I mean, when you factor that in with a back injury that's obviously been chronic, which obviously yeah. changes everything, changes your stance, changes your swing, changes yeah. your own confidence in your body, it's another dynamic because he's also got what a three, four, five-year injury setback mm. that he's trying to overcome whilst adjusting yeah. his game.
2: Look, uh, some uh, some images mm. of Tiger uh, doing a clinic on Tuesday. So he 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 might have pulled out of the Safeway Open, but mm. at uh, Monterey Country Club, which is a beautiful golf course. Mm. If you ever get a chance, mm-hmm. to, I mean, it's right next to Pebble Beach and Cypress Point, and mm. you know all the all the other big ones right there on the Monterey, Monterey Peninsula. But the Monterey Country Club, special place. He kept a commitment there and did a kids clinic, or might have even been a members clinic. Mm. And people were commenting that, oh, God, his swing looks really good. Uh, I promise you, mm. uh, Darren, your swing would probably look good on, on the on the driving range. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, let, let's see. And when a ha- little
3: charity event where you're not. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah he's just yeah. rolling the
2: shoulders he's back it. and through. Th- there's no pressure on him to mm. hit quality shot after quality shot. Mm. The ball just, you know, if he hits it up in the air, the people are going to clap. And he knows that. So, yeah, he did look relaxed. He did look fluid. Uh, he did look balanced. It did look like everything was working together
3: as you said it's more probably the shorter aspect yeah, yeah that's so the
2: driving range mm, yeah mm. so people are saying his swing looked good yeah it did everyone's swing looks good on the driving range uh we had to see what it is from Ted Green uh you know when you got a card and a pencil in your back pocket mm-hmm. uh and you know your name goes up on the scoreboard and people are going to see what you shoot uh but yeah that the one we didn't see was yeah let's see a, let's see a little easy chip out of long rough mm-hmm. um know, yeah, that once upon a time he would have eaten for breakfast Let's see uh, uh let's see a chip from a bad lie. Mm-hmm. Let's see the real dodgy one, the hard one, and pros know it when the grass is lying the wrong way and you're hitting mm-hmm. a chip shot into the grain. Mm-hmm. Let's see you do that one with with a with a little bit of steady hand and nerve because that's the one that finds you out and that's the one on TV that makes you look like a dill. Mm-hmm.
3: Jason Day, I guess, turning our attention more locally, out of the World Cup, Mark Leishman to replace him and partner mm. with uh, Adam Scott for, for that tournament, and he's had a few setbacks of late, uh, Jason Day, as we uh, as we know, and he's a guy that has at times battled fitness, but also yep. health, he, he sort of seems to get crook quite a bit, but um, yeah, it's a, a bit of a rough end of the year. Yeah, he's had
2: a drama-filled mm. 24 months, uh, that's fair to say, mm. well look, he, I, I think Jason pulled out of, of the BMW, which is the penultimate tournament of the year in the FedEx Cup Championships. Mm-hmm. He also, you know, decided not to play basically in the, in the Tour Championship. Yep. After I think it was one round. Mm-hmm. So if you're not playing in those tournaments, something serious is happening because yeah. there's too much on the line.
3: Yeah, we're talking, about, you know, the yeah. ten million dollar prize and all yeah. of that. Yeah. If it was a major, I yeah. reckon
2: he probably would have battled through. Yeah. But if he was going reasonable, mm-hmm. like we saw in the U.S. Open, that mm-hmm. Dustin uh, Johnson won. I mean, he he was pretty sore there, but battled through. But um, when he felt like he was going to do a little bit more damage and, you know, the physios would know. Um, so he pulled out of those two. It's disappointing for the Australian mm-hmm. summer because we'd love to see him in the Australian Open and the World Cup of Golf and um, the Australian PGA up in Queensland. We'd we'd love to see him playing in all those. But if you're going to hurt yourself and if your physio and, and doctors and medical team are saying, listen, <laughs> just take take a couple yeah. of months off. Mm-hmm. Do your rehab. Get yourself nice, nice and strong. You're young. You're the number one player in the world. Go out and win two majors next year. You know, I think if he wins two majors next year or at the end of his career and he's an eight-major player, uh, we're not even going to remember yeah. the two tournaments that he missed in 2016.
3: Anything to worry about, though, in the sense that he does have a lot of, not necessarily recurring, but little things pop up from time to time?
2: Uh, yeah, look, he,
3: it's only young, but
2: he, he's young. I think he's twenty six, twenty seven years old, 20, mm. maybe twenty eight now. Um, if if he was number one hundred and fifty in the world, I'd say yeah, maybe mm. a little bit to worry about. But being the number one in the world, and you know, making he, there'd be checks coming into the bank account that uh, he wouldn't even know about. Yeah, yeah, he's probably making thirty million this year. Yeah, uh, with that in the background, two months off, a cracking medical team. Uh, no, I don't. I, I I think he'll get the best advice. Uh, he's a competitive kid. Uh, you have to be to climb that pyramid to get to number one in the world. I think he'll do everything right. And uh, I, I it's actually I think a good sign that he has, you know, kind of said, listen, I, I'm really sorry, but I can't. I've got to get better. I see that as a good sign, health-wise, moving forward. So look, it is it's a bit a it's a bit of a pill to swallow. Uh, not seeing him here because it would have been great to have the world number one in the Aussie Open everybody else involved up there at at Royal Sydney Uh, but uh, I think for the future of Jason Day and potentially him winning being a 6-8 to major player then he's done the right thing
3: We'll have a chat about Curtis Luck a little bit later on, obviously doing uh, terrific things and, and creating opportunities. But uh, during the week, uh, you caught up with uh, Paul Skinning. Did you yeah. set that one up for us a little bit? We'll have a chat. or we'll hear from him after the break.
2: Well, I'll tell you what. what what's happening with the, the Golf Australia yeah. and all the Amateur golfers, I mean, it is, it is hard to believe. You're going to hear it in a little while. But, you know, the, the, the number one tournament, team tournament mm-hmm. in Amateur golf is the Eisenhower Cup. Uh, nobody. No. Everyone sends their best. No. No one mm-hmm. messes around with mm-hmm. it. Every country, America, everywhere, they send their best players. Uh, our guys won that tournament by 19 shots. <laughs> Unbelievable. Yeah. They've won the U.S. Amateur. They've won. Th- when I say they, Golf Australian, Golf Australian players, mm-hmm. won the U.S. Amateur. They've won the Junior U.S. Amateur. They've won the Asia Pacific. I mean, a lot of this is on the back of Curtis Luck, mm-hmm. but you've got players like Brett Coletta and and uh, Cameron Davis. And just they—they they are churning them out. You put Cameron Smith in there, Minji Lee. They are all products of Golf Australia and the high-performance team down there. Uh, Paul Skinner is a high-performance coach. Uh, he, he's also um, a former caddie of Chuck Fowler. That's a whole. We—we we, we might have to play that a little later yeah. as well because I got him talking about that during the <laughs> week also. Uh, but I think coming up after the break, let's ha- just have a listen to Paul Skinner and him talking about how they train their athletes, not golfers anymore, how they train their athletes down there at Golf Australia.
3: This is the Clubhouse, Darren Parkin with Mark Allen. Plenty more to come after this.
0: On the tee from Australia... Adam Scott. There it is,
1: Adam Scott. Expect
0: anything different?
1: Brilliant. What an up and down that was. In
2: your life have you seen anything like
1: that? Welcome
3: to the Clubhouse. Welcome back to the Clubhouse. Darren Parkin here with Mark Allen. As said, we're going to catch up now with Paul Skinner, one of the leading coaches with Golf Australia, to discuss the enormous success around the amateurs program at the moment, which has produced plenty of big names and a dominant performance, a 19-shot win in the Amateur Championship during the week. Here is Paul.
2: Paul Skinner. Hey, big big guest tonight. I'm really looking forward to this man because uh, the boys at Golf Australia Fairnickham, the Eisenhower Cup, they won by 19 shots. Oh. We've just seen that they've dominated the Asia Pacific Amateur Championship uh, over in Korea on Jack Nicholas Golf Club. Uh, Paul Skinner, Golf Australia High Performance Coach, and of course uh, a long time ex caddy now of Peter Fowler. G'day, Paul. Thanks for coming on, bud.
0: Hey, Mark. How are you? Craig? Good to have your skins. Thanks for having me.
2: What is in the water at Golf Australia? Can we just run through some of the achievements from our top golfers at the moment and the program that you're a big part of? Uh, One of the players has won a US amateur. That man then joined uh, the Eisenhower Cup team uh, team and they won by 19 shots. They've dominated play in the Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship Continue, please, Paul. I mean, I think we've had a junior, we've had Minji Lee's little brother.
1: Yep. yep. Have
2: I missed something? US junior. US junior. So that's the under 18 that championship the... of
1: America. What's his name, Skins? Minwoo. Minwoo, Min-woo. Min-woo Lee. Yeah.
0: Minwoo Lee. So he won the junior amateur early in the year. Yeah. Uh, Curtis followed up, obviously, as you said, with the US Am. Um, the team won by 19 shots at the Eisenhower, and yeah. Cam Davis, uh, he won the individual. Yeah. Uh, and then, just recently, um, first, second, and fourth uh, at the asia pacific Amateur. so
1: what are they, what what are our lowest ranked players now out of that group? Curtis is now
0: the lowest at number two number two in the world number two in the world behind uh, an american maverick mcNeil right Maverick. maverick oh, come, oh, on. come on believe of it or course not. his name
2: is maverick yeah the third <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I'm not sure. What's yeah. happening? What? Why? What, what are we seeing here? Are you doing things differently, or is this is this just a product of Golf Australia, the high performance team, and, and the way you do things? These players that we are now seeing dominate in uh, world competitions—is it a product of them being in the system for a long time, or have you just hit a nice little, you know, a spot in your journey as as golf high performance managers? I mean, what, what, what do you th- what do you see it as?
0: Look, I, I think, as you said, um, you know, it takes a long time to develop players um, to this level. Um, the program itself's been in existence now since two thousand and eleven. Uh, so through that, we've starting to uh, we're seeing Minji Lee doing what she's doing. Yeah. Uh, Sue um We've got Ryan Ruffles. Yeah. Uh, Todd Sinnott's on his way yeah. through.
2: Is it Craig Smith as well? Uh, no. Cameron Smith. Cameron Smith, thank you. Cameron, Cameron
0: Smith. Smith, yeah. Um, so that's you know that's obviously great to see. Um, our job's now to keep identifying the next generation. Um, but it is. It's a it's a long haul. It doesn't just happen overnight. And there's a lot of work gone into these players. Um, some of those I've just mentioned, uh, they've been in the system for three or four years now. Um, so, yeah, it takes a lot of work.
1: It, it must be, obviously... There's a lot I was talking to Lynchy about this the other day. It seems that there's a, a Dale massive Lynch. Yeah, Dale Lynch, Dale Lynch, yeah. a massive amount of um, experience in playing in international tournaments too for them, which is fantastic. Like they seem to be always travelling, always playing in big events, whether it's, you know, Cam John in Scotland winning that event, yeah. whether it's the guys in, in America. They're going they're going to South America now, they're going through Asia. Is there a lot more international experience for the amateurs than when we all came through, do you think? Oh, look,
0: I think no doubt. I mean, I I came through uh, around about the same time as yourself. Um, Jeff Ogilvie, these guys who were taking those trips uh, internationally. Yep. Um, Certainly a lot more now. But there's still – there's times now where the kids in the program are sort of told at certain points that, look, uh, you're in a development cycle, you're in a training cycle. Yep you know they might stay at home for a little bit longer uh and then we'll go off and travel as i said you know it's the overall goal is the big picture um they're trying to produce um they're trying to produce majors uh, major winners um world-class tour professionals um and with that takes yeah it takes a lot of time and a lot of coaching and you know and i think fortunately enough now um Brad James, our high-performance director, Uh, you know, he he has to make a lot of tough calls. Yeah. Um, But we've been able to assemble a really good team. Um, I kind of like it now maybe to the AFL sometimes. You know, 20 years ago there was your coach. You Mm. know, now there's forwards, there's mid-coaches, there's Mm back-coaches. And the same now at Golf Australia. I mean, we've got, um, you know, we've got physios, strength and conditioning coaches, nutritionists, psychologists. Yeah. so they're being sort of exposed to everything that we feel that they need to, yep, um, to compete on the world stage. Yeah.
2: What What, what do you see as, as most benefit? I mean, uh, when, when I'm watching the overall programs and seeing the kids uh, that are churned out, and let's face it, I mean they're just churning out one great player after another. They look that they look like their bodies. Uh, just capable of doing what you want them to do with a golf club in hand, you know. I, I go back ten years, and the, the the shapes of amateur golfers coming through, there was only kind of one way of swinging, and that's what their body let them do. Where the kids that I see, you guys turn out, just you know, they got the V shape. Um, they just, you know, everything about them and the way they set up. I think, yeah, you know, I think, I think sometimes as, uh, as. Uh, People who don't play too often, they look at setup, and they don't understand how important setup is. But if you're beating balls one way all the time, that uh, can affect your posture. Yet I see the boys from Golf Australia coming out. It doesn't matter which way they swing because they're all a little bit different. But just looking at the way they stand over a ball, and you know you can see their first couple of moves, and that's all you need to see. You just know everything's going to slot in the place. So how how important? Obviously technique's important, but how important? Getting the kids to get their head around that their body needs to be in great shape, so that that setup becomes really, really natural and easy to do.
0: Yeah, that's it's it's an interesting question. Um, you know, I, I've had this debate with past players, I guess, who've who, yeah. who've told me, look, you know, we never did the, you know, we never had the gym, we never did that when we were young. Mm. Um, you know, I think now we put a huge emphasis on their physical development and their training. Um, I think they're starting to move away from beating balls all day on the range. Um, if you were to come down to any one of our squad training sessions, you'll see all the kids there with their bands on and using their Ramsey belt and doing all sorts of postural work. And, you know, then they'll go and hit a few golf balls, then they'll go back and do more of that. Um, we have a, a biomechanical expert who does all their 3D stuff, so we get to chart how they're moving the club, and he'll then consult with the physios and the strength and conditioning coaches, and say, "Well, look, you know, he's uh, he's a little bit inefficient in this area. He needs to strengthen up that, but he right. needs to loosen up this." So it's so you're, all,
2: you're you're pointing to muscles up and down one side of someone's body, and yep. so basically what you're saying is, if you've got a weakness in your back or your stomach muscle or God knows where, that can influence the way that you swing a golf club.
0: A hundred percent, hundred percent, yeah, and and that's what I think. Um, you know, there's a lot of emphasis placed on that, um, mm-hmm. but as I said, it's a, um, it's a whole bunch of coaches working together now and. We identify areas that they need improvement, um, but certainly the strength and conditioning side is a huge component. Yeah, they're they're in the gym almost daily now.
1: Yeah, nice. Tell us about Brett Coletta. He uh, almost wins up there, so I'd be interested kid. to know if they will offer him a spot in the U.S. Masters. You may know, but I mean, you, my my hope is that they would because Curtis already has one. Yeah, I'm assuming. Um, he, I know he was. Fir- he, would he
2: be the first amateur in history to have two exemptions to the Masters?
1: Well, probably, probably. I would think so. Yeah, and maybe, maybe, yeah. possibly. It's pretty impressive, mm. Brett. I know because I see Brett at Woodlands Golf Club a fair bit, and he was crook this year. He had um, glandular fever throughout <laughs> the year, so he had a, he had an average year. He he felt like for uh, because of that, um, and here he is back. He's a ripping kid. Tell us about his, you know, pro. Pro- progression, progression through the through the ranks.
0: Um, as you said, Craig, you've um, you've seen a bit of Brett, and he's a he's an awesome talent. Mm. Um, uh, I believe pound for pound, he's one of the strongest athletes in the VIS across all sports. Right? Really? Uh, yeah, uh, he's super strong. Hits the ball a mile. Hits it um, forever. Phenomenal talent. Uh, Hits he it was, past Cameron Davis. Yeah.
1: Yeah, and Cameron Davis is what six six yeah. or something.
0: Cam's 6'4", uh, Cam's and look, they're, they're both very long, but but yeah, yeah, Brett's as long as anyone going around. Yeah, right. Um, uh, yeah, really good young kid. He was, we're in the UK together, and uh, he was really tired, and he was really flat, and you know, we weren't sure what was wrong with him. He came home and subsequently got diagnosed with um, glandular fever, mm. So he's had to be managed a little bit. So he's done a little bit less than what some of the others might have done. Um, it's been a little bit more about rest and recovery for him. Uh, but as a, he's a huge talent, he's he's a guy that um, mm. I haven't personally seen too many that play the way he does.
2: Tell tell us about Curtis Luck. How does you know you, you're an ex-caddy and caddy for a long time? You're a high performer. How, how do you, explain to me how he plays? Because I watch him on TV and I can't work out whether he's hitting draws or cuts. I don't know what he's producing. Um, What sort of
0: a golfer is he? He's Look, he's, again, he's come a long, long way in the last couple of years. Um, What was really evident to me last week in Korea was how much he shapes the ball around the golf course. He hits a lot of fades, a lot of draws, manoeuvres the ball really, really well. Um, He's developed a really good understanding of what he needs to do well, you know, to hit the ball well. He, He really understands that. Mm. and he's as gritty and determined as any player you'll probably yeah. ever come across, which is that kind of X factor that yeah. perhaps yeah. you can only coach to a certain point, I, I think.
2: That's that's yeah. really interesting because, you know, he, he came at last told knowing he's got an Augusta invite. He's got a teammate right behind him wearing the same uniform with mm. Brett Coletta, who's, you know, trying his best to get a Masters invite. Mm. And that putt that he hit on the last, it was a big curler. I mean, yeah. it was a 12-footer, probably curled a foot and a half, and he was as ice cold as anybody I've seen <laughs> yeah. and ripped the heart out of Brett Coletta. Well done, kid. Mm. I mean, it's, you know, it's, I felt bad at the time. I thought, what a mongrel for, you know, poor old Brett Coletta. You've missed out on an opportunity to go to heaven mm. if you're a golfer. But mm-hmm. I started to think about it. I thought, what a mongrel Curtis Luck is. And I mean that in the nicest possible, possible way. way just to step on someone's throat like that to take a trophy. That's exactly what you want in a sports person.
3: Paul Skinner there. Plenty more to come on The Clubhouse with Darren Parkin and Mark Allen after this. On the
0: tee from Australia, Adam Scott. There it is, Adam Scott. Expect anything different?
1: Brilliant. What an up and down that was.
0: In your
2: have you seen anything like
3: that? Welcome to the Clubhouse. We're listening to the Clubhouse. Darren Parkin here with Mark Allen talking all things golf and great to have your company. We've had a little bit of a chat about some of the big names in the world but also the next generation coming through. Curtis Luck looks every mm. bit of that so success in the Asia-Pacific, which is a terrific tournament which grants him exemption towards the Augusta Masters in partnership with the Royal Ancient and Augusta as well. And can you set this one up for us, uh, Marco, what he's been able to do a couple of years in a row and this tournament?
2: Yeah, well, look, uh, he's one He's the reigning US Amateur mm. Champion, which gets you into some of the big tournaments. US Open, the Masters, British Open as well. Um, he was going to turn pro pretty pretty quickly after the US Amateur uh, stint, but mm-hmm. because he won it, yeah. he's now going to put everything off. Uh, Golf Australia quickly put, it there, put uh, Curtis in the team to go to the Asia-Pacific Amateur Championship. Now, this is a, a tournament that's been going, I think, for five or six years. Uh, at first, I thought, wow, what's going on here? Because it's just like they invented a tournament. Mm. Plonked it in all the you know the South Pacific Asian region, um, and they put as a prize a berth at Augusta, mm. not on the Monday practice round or anything, yeah, not in the par three, yeah, right in the big dance, yeah. in the big dance. So you know, famously, uh, the young Chinese player Guan Tin Lang mm-hmm. uh, won it either the first or second year. This fourteen-year-old kid mm. went on to Augusta, played in the tournament, um, got a penalty. For one-shot penalty for being slow <laughs> and made the cut yeah. as a 14-year-old. Yeah. So that was that was mm. when this tournament became pretty much known in the region as, wow, what's going on here? We saw it at Royal Melbourne. Mm. They moved all over the place. This year it was at Korea where they played the President's Cup, the last President's Cup at Jack Country Club. The spend on this tournament, it's an amateur event. Six and a half million US. <laughs> Billy Payne, the chairman of Augusta, comes down. Mm. People from the R&A come down. They, they believe it's their in their best interests that really promote golf in this region. Um, They have eight Eddie Head Stadium or ANZ Stadium big screens Mm -hmm. located around the course just for scoreboards. Uh, They bring in Dottie Dottie Pepper and and Frank Noblo and a ridiculous golf channel team to broadcast this event around the world. Um, Apparently on the opening night Mm. they had a sixty-meter screen behind the the guy, you know, the MC talking, introducing the night. A sixty-meter screen with highlights. Yeah. I mean, they, they fly everybody in. No one has to pay their way there. So
3: obviously, it's a bit of money. Six and, <laughs> and a half million
2: US. They fly all the competitors <laughs> yeah. in and stick them in one of the best hotels mm. you've ever seen. Apparently, the breakfasts, the dinners. There are you know eight screen TVs at every brekkie, every dinner, just showing the scoreboard and highlights of the day. Mm. No expense spared whatsoever. Um, and and we saw, again, Curtis Luck win this tournament as well. So I'm, I'm not sure in the history of Augusta how many amateur players have actually had two exemptions um, into, <laughs> into one tournament. Um, but we all thought maybe Billy Payne, the chairman of Augusta, would see what was going on. And poor old Brett Coletta from uh, Woodlands Golf Club down in Victoria... He came second. He um, he didn't birdie the last to get himself into a playoff and a chance to win. But Curtis Luck shot 67 on the last day. That tells me a lot about this kid. Yeah. I mean there are. I mean, w- w- when I saw Brett Coletta par the last when he had I think 180 meters left to a par five for two. So he knocks it on two putts. Maybe makes the eagle to win. Two putts birdie for a.m. for a spot in the playoff. Once he didn't do that. Once he made the par, I, I-, I thought somehow that Billy Payne would. Say okay. Uh, I know we, yeah, you know, we uh, we give the the spot away to Augusta for the winner, but he's already exempt, so we'll give one to Brett Coletta, But mm. it, it didn't happen, yeah. we, we, which I'm really disappointed about. But you know, our boys again, um, Curtis Luck, uh, Brett Coletta came second. Cam Davis came fourth. Uh, he had a shocking day the last day, 77. So how last old's day. Curtis? Curtis Luck would be well. He looks to me 21, yep. 22 years old. Mm-hmm. He's got to turn pro soon. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, I, I think you got to turn pro early. Yeah, yeah. I mean most guys do i I turned pro when I was twenty mm-hmm. uh, and it was the best thing I did because you you, you just elevate mm-hmm. the playing levels i mean you know you it's very important especially when you're a young age and you're building yeah to play with the best players you possibly can just mm-hmm. because if you don't if it's it's sink or swim time and mm-hmm. it makes you work and make and you, and you see what the best players are actually doing you you actually see what it lacks if you're playing with the best amateurs all the time and you're at the top of the tree. Well, they're all kind of learning off you. Yeah, but you've got to go to another, you've got to go to a whole new level. No good learning off those guys. Mm-hmm. So you've you've actually got to go and play with the best players you possibly can. So Curtis needs to. Well, he's going to play in some big tournaments. It's, it's worth it. Someone like Brett Coletta, he needs to turn pro pretty soon. I would have thought. And Cam Davis, I'm I'm big on it. I'm not sure what the Golf Australia High Performance Coaches say, but I get these guys turning pro really quick. Let's see how good you are. Get yeah. out there. Good, the good players, they're good. You know nothing's going to stop a good player from getting to the top one way or the other.
3: Yeah, sooner or later, and particularly, you know, strike while the iron's hot and they're in that sort of form. You've got to take on the big boys. Yeah. Just before we take a break, we've got a masterclass not that far away. Just an interesting question. We've had a lot of that communication via social media. I'm sure I know we diverge into other sports occasionally, but Nick Kyrgios, if golf had a Nick Kyrgios, how would they deal with it? I mean, it's unlikely that you would because of the... Even, you know, the, the point-to-point nature of it, you're not directly yeah. competing against another person. But if there was a petulant-type athlete like that, would they have been driven out of the sport already?
2: Uh, well, we, we've had our issues yeah. with John Daly. Mm-hmm. You know, John Daly's hit moving balls mm-hmm. um, at a US Open. He, he's done all kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. John Daly. He's walked off in the Australian Opens and all the rest of it. Yeah. Um, it's, it's different down here because they want him back. But he was fine when he played down here. Mm-hmm. Not enough. Yeah. Um, the US Tour, I mean, they pretty much... Know, they won't say it, but John Daly. Uh, when once John really loose, really, you know he yeah. made his own bed. Mm-hmm. Um, pretty much all the sponsors' invitations started to dry up a little yeah. bit for John Daly. Yeah. So they have that ability to where they'll just say, "No, no, no you can't <laughs> you invite can't, him. Can't yeah, invite him back." Like that, yeah. But we've never seen it. You know, world number fourteen carry mm-hmm. on like this. No, we we just haven't seen it. Now you know, well, particularly
3: that the tournament after winning a tournament. Yeah. So. Well,
2: it's uh, it's up to whatever tour they're on. So if he's a US PGA Tour member and mm-hmm. regular, uh, I I think if something like that happened, then they say, listen, mate, uh, you you're done for two or three months. Mm-hmm. You can't perform. Well. You can't. You've got to try. Yeah, you are here to try. This is entertainment business. You you've just got to do the right thing by the game. Mm-hmm. And you know, Nick's obviously not so. Um, I'll be interested to see what the APT2 will do. Although they're the biggest toothless tiger in the history of sport. Yeah, o-
3: outside of probably the ICC, yeah. which are <laughs> relatively yeah. Uh, yeah. relatively soft by comparison as well. But yeah, it's, uh, it's an interesting one. A lot of that sort of commentary around how different sports would deal mm. with those sorts of things. There's obviously different pressures involved yeah. as well. So. Yeah,
2: well, mm. we, we've seen players, mm. um Suspended for six months. I mean, Dustin yeah. just Dustin Johnson famously, mm-hmm. uh, even though he hasn't admitted it and PGA Tour hasn't said, he f- he failed a, a drug test. He yeah. got six months. Mm-hmm. Uh, ESPN wrote an article saying that he failed uh, the test because of cocaine. Mm-hmm. Um, the Dustin uh, Johnson group didn't fire back and sue no, that's right. ESPN. So and we you can wouldn't uh, run with it. You can yeah. make of that what you will. So mm-hmm. um, th- they're very, very strong and stuff like that. Uh, as far as behaviour... It just doesn't seem to be that big a problem in in the world of golf. Nothing like tennis.
3: (laughs) Absolutely. We do have to get to a break. Marco's Masterclass uh, after this. We'll have a little bit of advice uh, for you. And if you have any of those questions, you can also send those through to us via social media. You're listening to The Clubhouse.
0: On the tee from Australia, Adam Scott. Here it is, Adam Scott. Expect anything
2: different.
1: Brilliant. What an up and down that was.
2: In your life have you seen anything
3: like that? Welcome to the Clubhouse. This is the Clubhouse. Darren Parkin here with Mark Allen talking all things golf. And as we like to do when we wrap up the show every week, it's time for Marco's Masterclass. Marco's Masterclass. And what do we want to touch on uh, today to, uh, to help those out there that are listening and waiting patiently for this?
2: Bunkers. And bunker play seems Mm -hmm. to be the bane of most golfers' existence who play once a week or Mm -hmm. once a month or whatever. Um, That is because they don't understand how to diagnose a lie. When you're in a bunker, there are only two types of lie Mm -hmm. perfect and everything else. And everything else. So if you have a perfect lie, you can almost do whatever you like and the ball will flop out pretty Mm -hmm. well. So from a perfect lie, and this is normally where people practice, I mean, if most people don't practice at all in the bunkers and, and, and have mm. never practiced in the bunkers. Do do me a favor. If you've never practiced in the bunkers, go down and hit 50 shots from a bunker and you'll soon find out how hard to swing at the ball because essentially you're not hitting the ball clean. Mm-hmm. The club actually goes well and truly under the ball. And think about it that way as well. I mean, if you're a bad bunker player, don't think of entering the sand two inches behind the ball, which is rubbish. Um, just go underneath, try and get the club to go underneath the ball. But if the lie is not perfect, then it is bad mm-hmm. by definition in yep. bunkers. So when a lie is not perfect, that's when you have to break the wrists a little earlier. That's when you have to hit down. That's when you might have to move the ball back in the stance. But from a perfect lie, you don't do too much of the swing. You open the club face up, swing away, try and get the club underneath the ball, and out your pop. But from everything else that's when all the bunker technique that you read in the magazines, that's when it comes into play. So if the ball's sitting down, if the ball's a little bit, maybe even on a downslope, all that type of stuff, that's when you have to adjust. So instead of doing a normal swing from a bad lie, ball goes back just a little bit, maybe grip down the club just a little bit Mm -hmm. and break the wrists early, like they say in the magazine. But that's the only time. If it's a perfect lie, you can do whatever you like. So it's not so much about technique in a bunker as it is about diagnosing the lie and understanding what you can do.
3: Do you think people always think it's a bad lie automatically when they're in a bunker? Uh,
2: unfortunately, the mo- the courses that most people play, yeah. they will get a bad lie yeah. pretty much all the time. Mm-hmm. If you're playing the nice places or if you're playing like you see on the TV mm-hmm. in a tournament, the pros rarely get a bad lie unless it's plugged. Mm-hmm. Rarely. So we feel for the weekend yeah. warrior yeah. who always get bad lies. So. Most bunker technique, if you're in a bad lie, throw it out the window. Put the ball back in the stance, break the wrist early, and hit down abruptly, and the ball will pop up.
3: Why do you think people don't practice in that area? Do you think it's a spook factor? Like, well, I want to avoid this, Uh, like the plague, so I don't even want to think about that. I
2: think mainly people don't, because there's no facilities, really. At at public golf courses, where most people play their golf, there's no facility to actually do it. Or if there is, it's a million miles away, and you just couldn't be bothered. Mm. Most people get to the golf course, you know, rip the clubs out of the car, uh, coffee in hand, walk to the first tee, Mm. two practice swings and off you go and have a good day with your mates. Mm -hmm. But look, if the bunkers are bothering you, uh, 50 shots in the bunker, half an hour in a bunker and that'll soon fix a lot of well, a, a hell of a lot of issues.
3: Absolutely. That was Marco's masterclass. Marco, thank you. We look forward to another big edition next week. Hopefully we draw closer to this uh, Tiger comeback. We'll also be closer to the World Cup. Jason Day and Mark Leishman, mm. the Aussie pairing. Sorry, uh, uh, Adam Scott yeah. and Mark Leishman, rather, with Jason Day, out of uh, that particular tournament. been yeah. a... Uh, an you know, excellent show.
2: Just quickly, uh, he had the Safeway and the Turkish uh, mm-hmm. Airlines tournament that he pulled out of. Do you know the third tournament he was going to play. What was that? It's his own tournament. <laughs> I bet he doesn't <laughs> pull out. I that bet he hasn't yet. pulled out of that one.
3: No, I imagine there'd be a little bit of pressure in that sense. But Marco, thank you. Take it easy, Darren. We'll be back again next week with another edition of the Clubhouse.